I'm so thankful to be here. I'm thankful to Pastor Greg for asking me to come and share the word with you guys. I've been looking forward to this. And listen, I honestly, I've got my past, present, future shirt on this morning. I wanted to represent, uh, makes me feel a little bit younger than I actually am um, and makes me realize that even though my hair is moving backwards, I'm still going to move forward. Um, And I'm excited. When Pastor Greg asked me to preach, I actually already had a word on my heart, and I thought it was for the Wellfort pain that I was going to preach. And then he asked me to come be here. And at the time, I didn't fully know the theme of camp, just to be completely honest with you. And the word that the Lord laid on my heart is out of, actually out of Joshua chapter 3. So it's amazing how it's just kind of the culmination of this entire week. So if you would do me a favor, get your Bible, turn with me to Joshua, the third chapter. And would you stand for the reading? of God's word today. Um, I just like to do this because there is no other book on earth like the Bible. It it is the only book that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it holds so much power when we give it access in our life. And so I want to look to this book today for inspiration, for guidance, for correction, for all the things that it has promised to be for our life. And we're actually going to read this entire chapter because I want you to get the full scope of what's happening in this story in the lives of the Israelites that are now being led under the command of Joshua, who has passed from Moses to Joshua. He's the new leader of this next generation. And he's going to be the one that's going to lead them across the Jordan and into the land that God had promised for them out of slavery and into the the land flowing with milk and honey. So let's read Joshua chapter three, picking up in verse one. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, now I want you to do a favor for me. Anytime you see the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to put the presence of God in place of it because the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the resting place for the presence of God. And so I want you to to just, as we read that, I'm going to say that. So they commanded the people saying, when you see the presence of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, and you shall set out from your place and go after it. Okay, so he's saying, when you see the presence of God, when it starts moving, I want you to go after the presence of God. Verse five says, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the presence of the Lord and cross over before the people. So they took up the presence of the Lord and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. It continues in verse eight. You shall command the priests who bear the presence of the Lord saying, excuse me, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this, You will know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the presence of the Lord your God of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the presence of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off 
The waters that came down from upstream, they shall stand up as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the presence of the Lord before the people. And as those who bore the presence came before the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the presence dipped into the edge of the water of the Jordan for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Verse 16, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. The city that is beside Zaratan, so that the waters went down into the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Last verse says this, Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant, or the presence of the Lord, stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray that today you would anoint me and empower me to deliver it clearly and with the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I also pray for the hearer. Give ears to hear what the Spirit is saying I ask today. I pray that there be open hearts, open minds, and that this this word that you have given to me would bring a transformative power in our life to be who you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Go ahead and take your seats this morning. It's so good to have you at the Well Scottsboro. Uh, Pastor Madison... Uh, My wife, she is actually ministering the word in Fort Payne today, and this is the first time that we've ever actually not been together on a Sunday morning unless one of us was was sick or we had sick children, but she's actually ministering there and I'm ministering here, and so I've been praying for her and believing for her, and actually it kind of stinks because she's one of my favorite preachers and I don't get to hear her that often, Uh, and actually I should probably just say she's my favorite preacher. I'm just, I'm not even going to act anymore. She is my favorite preacher. Um, Even if all she did was get up and just say, you know, one word and sit down, she'd still be my favorite preacher because she's my favorite person. Um, so I'm excited to be here, but she's there with the Wellfort Pain, and I miss being with them. But I've been excited about being with you guys because I want to talk to you guys today uh, about a sermon called The Non-Negotiable. Okay, The Non-Negotiable. The word non-negotiable is an adjective, and it means something that cannot be changed by a discussion. Something that you can't talk me out of it. Okay? There's a non-negotiable in my life that I don't care what you say, what you do, how hard you come across, how convincing you may seem, and how good the deal may be. I am not changing my mind, my position, what I have decided. There is a non-negotiable in my life. You can't offer me a bargain good enough to say, I'll take that over this. A discussion shouldn't even happen because even if you try, you will not be able to talk me out of what I have and decided in my mind that I'm going to do, that I'm going to possess, and that I am going to be. I'm set. I am determined. It's non-negotiable. Now, what is a non-negotiable in the life of people that claim and follow and love Jesus Christ as their Savior? I'll tell you what it is. It's the presence of God. The presence of God is a non-negotiable in my life. You can say that you can have all the money in the world, you can have all the fame in the world, you could tell me if you trade the presence of God, you'll never suffer heartache, you'll never lose this, you'll never have to walk through that again, and I would say, I'll take all of it, it's not up for discussion. I want the presence of God or I want nothing in my life. It is not an option to say, I am gonna set aside the presence of God. I have chosen, I have decided, I have said, the presence of God is non-negotiable in my life. 
And I'm looking for a people, and I believe that God is looking for a people that would be like Moses, that would be like Joshua, that would say, we aren't going anywhere without the presence of God. I'm not clocking into work without the presence of God. I'm not going back to school without the presence of God. I'm not gonna walk into another opportunity that seems bigger or better. If God's not in it, I don't want anything to do with it. It's a non-negotiable in my life to live in, walk in, breathe in, and have the presence of God 100% of the time. I'm not changing my mind. And that's how Joshua was. That's how Moses was. And I don't know about you, But I've lived life with the presence of God and I've lived life, unfortunately, without the presence of God. And I'll tell you this, I'm not willing to go back to life without the presence of God. There's nothing in this earth that I would trade for having God on my side because if God's for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So that means you could say, if you put aside the presence of God, you won't have any problems. I would say, I'd rather face the problems with the presence than live absent of problems without the presence of God. I've chosen, it's non-negotiable in my life. Now, if you go back a little bit to the book of Exodus, you will find that Moses has an encounter with God and God has gotten fed up with the people of Israel. Because they've been complaining, they've been stiff-necked, they've gone after other gods, they have just, they've already forgotten that it was him that led them out of slavery. And so God comes to the point, he says, Moses, here's the deal. I'm, 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 I'm drawing the line right here in the sand. I'm not going any further with you. But here's what I'll do. I'll offer you a deal. God offers Moses a deal. He says, I will drive out all the inhabitants of the land that are on the other side of the Jordan. I'll make it peaceful for you. I'll go ahead and get rid of them. All your problems, everything that would be dangerous, everything that would be trouble trouble for you, everything that would be an issue, I'll get rid of them and I will lead you into the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. Moses said, no deal. Moses said, remember deal or no deal? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Moses said, no deal. You know what he said? If your presence doesn't take us up from here, then we won't go. Now, you have to understand where they were. They were in between slavery and the promised land, living in the wilderness, suffering, barely making it. Moses was with all these people that were crazy. It had been nothing but problem and trouble and issue after issue after issue. And Moses said, I'll stay here with you and all the problems then going into the promised land with the promise of having zero trouble, zero problem. I'd rather stay right here and go around this mountain until I die. As long as I got the presence of God, this is the place that I wanna be. If you don't take us up from here, then we don't wanna go. We'll stay right here. We're not moving another inch. And so, basically what Moses was saying is, it's non-negotiable. I'm not gonna negotiate and discuss whether I live with or without the presence of God. I've made up my mind, I wanna live with the presence of God. And so I'll pick up uh, now in the, uh, or he said, I'll, I'll pick the wilderness basically over the promised land as long as I have you. Now, let me give you another example of that in the Bible. There's a man by the name of David who was a great king in Israel, but David made many mistakes because he was a man and he had lusted in his heart. He'd committed adultery with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. He'd gotten her pregnant. 
pregnant, and instead of owning up to his problem, he decides to kill her husband to try to cover up the problem that he'd made, compounding his errors, and eventually he comes to a place where he's convicted in his heart, and we find this prayer in Psalm chapter 51 where he begins to say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, why are those words so important? Do you realize that next to Psalm 23 and John 3.16, that's one of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible. Here's why. Because here we find the heart of a man, that he's at the pinnacle of the place that he could ever be or live. He was the king of the greatest nation in the world. And when he was caught in the midst of a problem, he didn't say, don't take the kingdom from me. He didn't say, don't take the riches from me. He didn't say, don't take the army from me. He didn't say, don't take the position from me. He didn't say, don't take the palace from me. He said, don't take your presence. You can take the kingdom. You can strip me of everything that man has, has, is recognizing and saying is great and is awesome, but it's non-negotiable in my life. Don't take your presence, God. I can live without the kingdom, but I can't live without your presence. I need you in my life. So is there anybody here that would say, I want to be someone that says the presence of God is a non-negotiable in my life. But the problem is this. We've developed a culture that is so independent from God that we fail to see the need that we have for him in our life. We can go days, weeks, months, even years going to church, reading the Bible, but not truly living dependent on the presence of God in our life. That's why in the New Testament it says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Meaning we live in the place where we have access to God, but rarely do we choose to access God. The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. But the problem is, is we'd rather run to other things first instead of coming to the presence of God. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is it steering your life? Is it guiding you? Are you going to God in prayer and asking him what he thinks about every situation? Or is it just a last-ditch effort because everything else broke down? I might as well try this. But we want to be people that are dependent on God. And I love you, but I also want to remind you that without God, you're nothing more than dirt. Me too. Not, not just you, me. We, we all, without God, we are dirt that's going to go back to dirt. We are sinful in nature. We are deplorable in heart. And it's only by his grace and the fact that he has chosen us to live in such a time as this and empowered us and given us his word and the Holy Spirit that we can be or do anything that matters. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you might say, well, then why are there so many people that are living life and they're doing things? What he's saying is, without me, you can't do anything that matters. Without me, you can't do anything that amounts to anything. Without the presence of God in your life, life isn't worth living. But I want you to leave here today knowing the desperate need that you have for the presence of God in your life. Whether you're a plumber, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a banker, a lawyer, a mechanic, whatever it is that you do, whoever you are, God didn't skip over anybody and go, they need me, they don't need me. There is wired inside of humanity a desperate need for the creator and the presence of the holy God to be in our life. When God led the people of Israel, we're gonna get back to the text now. When God led the people of Israel to to the, the, the banks of the Jordan River. And 
He told them through Joshua, get ready because tomorrow God's gonna do some great things and he was gonna lead them over into the promised land and he led them to the edge of that Jordan River. It was finally time for them to cross over and enter the land that he had prepared for them and promised for them as a place of rest and habitation. But before they entered the promised land, they had an obstacle in their way. And many times in your life, before you actually step into the promise, you will be presented with an obstacle. There will be a, a, a trial. There will be a test, like Pastor Whalen was talking about earlier, of the testing of our faith, which produces patience. There will be something that God brings you to, to bring you into the crossing over from one season into the next season. And any time that you see the Jordan River in Scripture, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it almost always represents transition or a new season. You look it up, you study it in the Bible. Every time somebody comes to the Jordan, they are coming from one place and they're crossing over into another place. They're picking up a mantle. I'll just give you some, some examples. When Joshua was leading people in, into God's land, they had to cross the Jordan River. Okay, let's fast forward now. When Elisha is taking up the mantle from Elijah, they crossed over the Jordan River. Uh, so then in, when Elisha is ministering, there's a man by the name of Naaman, the Syrian, who comes to him and, and Elisha says, I want you to go to the River Jordan. I want you to wash in it seven times and you will be healed of your leprosy. He goes to the, the river Jordan. He washes seven times. He comes up. He's made new. He's entered into a new season. His body is made new. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus goes to get baptized by John the Baptist. Guess where he gets baptized? The Jordan River. And it's in the Jordan River that when he comes up out of that water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The heavens open and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it was after that that Jesus stepped into the ministry that God had prepared for him. 30 years he lived without doing a single sign, wonder, or miracle. But after that transition in the Jordan River, Jesus comes up. The Holy Holy Spirit lights on him and he steps into his ministry. So the Jordan River always represents transition or a new season or an awakening or a renewal in, in the scripture. But the presence of God is always represented in the Old Testament as we read through this text earlier as the presence of God, the physical place where God rested upon the mercy seat. And to us in, as new covenant believers, it is symbolic of God's presence. Now, the Bible says in Joshua chapter one, verse one, that the people camped out before they crossed over. That phrase, they crossed over, is one word in Hebrew, and it means before they alienated, before they altered, before they overcame. That's what it literally means. So he's saying they camped out because God had some things in their life that they were going to have to alienate themselves from slavery, alienate themselves from who they were on that side of the Jordan River, and they were gonna have to step into allowing God to alter their life and change their life and renew them, and they were gonna have to overcome some things. And it, it is this, this phrase, they, they crossed over, is widely used in Scripture and is translated to describe transition. And I want to point out this, that they were instructed to follow the ark. They were instructed to follow the presence of God. In fact, in verse three, where I said it earlier when we were reading it, they were told to go after the ark of the covenant. I want you to follow it. Because, but in verse four, they were told, I want you to keep a slight distance. And here's the reason for keeping a distance between you and the ark. You have never been this way before. 
You haven't crossed this Jordan before. You haven't been in this land. You haven't traversed this area. You don't know where you're going, what you're doing, and you need a guide, and your guide through life will always be the presence of God. He will lead you into peace. He'll lead you into victory. He'll lead you into triumph. He'll lead you into joy. He'll lead you into overcoming. You might have to go through some situations, some transitions, some alterations in your life. You might have to alienate from some things, but when God opens up the Jordan and leads you into transition, it's because he has victory on the other side that he's wanting to lead you into. But my encouragement to you today is don't try to get ahead of God. So many times in our life, the reason they said keep a distance between you and the ark is because you don't know which way you're going. And when you get ahead of God in life, you don't have a guide anymore. Now you are guiding yourself. Has anybody ever heard of the Donner Party? The Donner Party, it was a wagon train that left out of Independence, Missouri in, this, in the early spring of 18, I believe it was 46. And there was 81 people in this party. And they traveled and they made it from Independence, uh, Missouri. And they, they, they were traveling on the California trailhead. And that trailhead had been taken by so many families to get to California and to Oregon that the ruts of the wagons had bored down a trail that was shoulder height for men. That's how many people had taken it. And so you couldn't get off of it. You couldn't lose it. You couldn't, you couldn't, you know, lose your way. You were, you were on the track, you path, you were on the trailhead. And so they started out, but they had heard of this little booklet the Donner Party had, these 81 people, that was written by a man that he claimed to have found a path that was shorter and would cut off hours and days and time and miles and make it so much easier. And all you had to do was when you got to the Great Salt Lake, instead of going north of it, you had to go south of it and you had to cross over the Great Salt Desert. But the problem was the man that had written this publication had never been that way before himself. But he promised to thousands and thousands of immigrants that if you just take this way, it'll make life so much easier. And always be careful, church, when somebody offers you a shortcut to get where you're trying to go. And so when they came to the point where there was a, a, there was a decision to make to either go south of the lake or to go north of the lake, many people that were on this, train, this trail, this train, decided to take the original route. But the Donner Party decided that they would go south and they would trust this man by the name of, I think it was Langston Hawkins or something like that. They would follow, Lansford Hawkins, they would follow his trail and they would get the quickest way to get to the forts, the settlement that was in California. And they had met a mountain man along the road that he said, don't do it. He said, it's a trap. You're gonna die in that desert. When you get to that decision, you need to go north. You need to follow the original trailhead because people have been that way before, but no wagon train has ever tried to go this way before. But these men were stubborn. They had a desire and a lust to get to the land and get there quicker than anybody, so they went south. They traveled across the desert. It took them five days to get across the desert. They almost died of dehydration, having nothing to drink. And by the end of the the journey of that desert, they had actually added 120 miles to their journey, not taking time off of their journey. And then 
They've come to this place where because no other wagon trains have been, they're having to stop and clear a trail. They're barely making two miles a day when before on the old trailhead, they were making 10 to 12 miles a day. And now they're having to clear their own way and clear their own brush. And one man, once they finally got through that, his axle broke. And in the process of trying to build a new axle and cut timber, he gashed his hand so deeply that the other wagon train went ahead and they waited five days for him to catch up. Well, while they were asleep on that fifth night trying to rest their oxen for the final pass between uh, through the Sierra Nevadas into California, it started to snow. And what you have to realize is wagon train travel was all about timing. Because if you got struck by the weather, you were stuck on that side of the mountain. It was impassable. They missed it by one day. One day. If they would have gone one day earlier, they would have, it was just a short journey through the hills. They could have done it. They were 100 miles from their destination, already having traveled some 2,000 to 2,500 miles from Independence, Missouri till now. We're almost done with the history lesson. Don't worry. And when they get to this place, they get stuck and they get snowed in. And in the end, 36 of the 81 people died on this journey. Only 40, I guess, that, what would that be, 45 of them? actually made it through to their destination. Why? Because they tried to listen to someone to tell them which way to go when he'd never been that way before himself. And when we try to follow our own way and we don't keep that distance, we don't keep the presence of God before us and the path that he has laid out, we will end up like that Donner party, so far off course, so far behind and, not, and, and find ourselves in trouble that God never intended for us to walk through or be in. And it doesn't mean that the path that he leads us on won't be trouble, but at least the, he will be there to fight for you and to provide for you and to help you to get through it. And so the presence of God will alter your way of living. It will cause you to overcome fear. It'll cause you to overcome insecurity. It'll cause you to overcome that vice or that addiction because he knows which way you're supposed to go and he can show you exactly what you need to do, what you don't need to do, who you need to be in contact with, who you don't need to be in contact with. What you need to realize is you are not your own. How many Christians do I have in here? Come on, raise your hand if, you, if you're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if you raise your hand as a Christian, you are admittedly saying, I don't own me. I don't get to tell me what to do. I don't get to have the right to decide what I do, where I go, who I am, because the Bible says you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price with the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are not our own, and that's why it's non-negotiable. If we call ourselves Christians and believers, we say, I need God's presence because without his presence, I am as lost as a ball in high weeds. You know what David said in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11? He said, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's he saying? He's actually reiterating what's being said and what's being taught and lived out in the book of Joshua that if you follow the presence, it'll show you the way to go. If you follow the presence of God, it'll tell you where to work. It'll tell you where to go to school. It'll tell you who to hang out with. It'll tell you what, what, what you know, decisions to make in your finances, in your relationships. It will lead you. It will show you the path of life. But think about this. What's the opposite of life? Death. So you have a choice. You can take the path of life or you can take the path of death. You can follow the presence of God or you can try to make your own way 
through life. His presence will show you where to go even when you don't know which way to go. He'll lead you into joy. He'll lead you into pleasure forevermore. His, listen to this, his journey may not always be the most pleasant journey, but the destination will be worth the fight that it took to get there. Don't let anyone or anything discuss you or talk you out of the presence of God in your life. It is non-negotiable. Do you know why people make things non-negotiable? Because they understand their value and they put importance on those things. They say, this is a non-negotiable in my life. Maybe you follow sports, free agency, or, you know, there are certain things that athletes will have their managers put in their contracts that like, this is non-negotiable. I'm not willing to live without this amount of money or without this, you know, exception in my contract. In our life, we have got to say the presence of God is non-negotiable because it's the, it's the difference between life and death in my life. It's the difference between going south of the Great Salt Lake and going north of the Great Salt Lake and making it or not making it. And I want to help you understand the value and the necessity for God's presence in your life. You see, the Israelites couldn't cross the Jordan without it. They didn't have boats, they didn't have rafts, they didn't have bridges, they didn't have a dam that they could build. They were stuck on this side of the Jordan and the only way they're getting to the other side is if the presence of God steps into that river and does a miraculous work to hold up the waters. And so crossing the Jordan, it represents the fact that God's promises are out of reach in your life without his presence. You can't get to his promises without his presence. We need his presence in our life. And so crossing the Jordan, it represents a transition. And I want to actually read to you Psalm chapter 114. Because as we're talking about the Jordan River, it's referenced in this psalm. And I want to read this psalm to you really quickly and show you the power of the presence of God when you are walking in, in your life. Verse 1 says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, meaning they became the place where his presence dwelt. And it's interesting that Judah means praise. Praise became his sanctuary. Praise became his dwelling. Praise became his habitation. Praise became the place where his presence would dwell. In Israel, his dominion. Listen to this. The sea saw it. What is it? We'll get to that in a moment. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skip like rams, the little hills like lambs. Listen to this. I love the psalmist begins to mock these things and say, What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. Mountains that you skip like rams, the little hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, here's the it, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water and the flint into mountains of waters. I want you to know today that no matter what comes against you, if the the presence of God is leading you and guiding you. It can be a sea, it can be a river, it can be a mountain, it can be a man, it can be a thing, it can be a problem. But if the presence of God goes before you, you'll be able to look back and go, what was your deal? What was your problem? What made you run? Oh, that's right. It was the presence of God. It wasn't me. It was only God inside of me. You need his presence in your life. Don't fall for the trick of the enemy that is trying to get you to cower down and to draw back and to be worried. Listen, the Israelites did not take the promised land through their weaponry, through their masterminded militant operations. They didn't. In fact, they were more slaves than they were soldiers. They never wielded a sword because so, slaves aren't allowed to have swords. They're not allowed to have weapons. And so they didn't really know what it meant to be warriors, to be fighters. So it wasn't, because, but, every, but everywhere that they went, did you know that people 
their heart would literally freeze on the inside of them. They would, they would die before they were dead of fear because of these slaves that were coming across and they were wreaking havoc on these nations. It wasn't because of the people, people. It was because of the God of the people that they had the presence of God. It struck such fear in their enemies that their enemies were like, we don't want anything to do with you. They were so afraid. They would lock the doors before they ever got to the city. They wouldn't let him pass by. They wouldn't even let him on the highway because they were so afraid of him. But it wasn't them. It was the presence of God that's inside of them. The Israelites didn't take the promised land because they were skilled, because they were wise, because they were wonderful and talented. They took it because they had the presence of God. Because Joshua said, the presence of God's got to go first. Get the presence in the Jordan. And don't, don't try to get past the presence of God. Don't fall too far behind. They gave him a distance. They said, keep a half a mile distance between you and the ark of God because you need to be able to see the presence of God, but you don't want to get too far behind the presence of God either. So I don't know about, I don't know what you're facing in life, but I know this, with the presence of God, nothing's impossible. There's nothing you're facing this morning that God is wringing his hands about. He's walking the floor over and he's wondering, are we gonna make it? Is it gonna happen? Is there gonna be enough in the bank? Are we gonna have what it takes? No, God has everything that you need and all you need is his presence. But listen to this. Verse 17 says that the priest stayed in the Jordan with the presence until the people had completely crossed over. Now, remember the Jordan represents transition. It represents a new season. It represents alteration in our life. It represents alienation from things that are past. It represents, oftentimes transition is a difficult time in our life. How many of you have found yourself, this is good old Christian talk, in transition? I'm in a season of transition. We like to say that. What that really means is I'm in between one season and the next season, and usually it's stressful, it's hard, it's difficult. There's challenges, but what I wanna show you today is in the middle of your Jordan River, in the middle of your transition, God is standing in the middle of it and he is not gonna stop. He's not gonna leave until you completely cross over, you completely get through. He makes everything right and makes sure that you have what you need. So God won't leave you half-baked. He won't leave you stuck in transition. He won't leave you always uh, you know, wondering, am I gonna make it? He will be there until Everything that you have to walk through, you get through in that transition. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter one, verse six. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. So this is what that means. If there was something in your life that was started and wasn't finished, it wasn't God, so let it go. Because if he started it, he'll finish it. If he started the good work, he'll complete the good work. And so anything that you're wondering, is it gonna happen, is it not gonna happen? He is a finisher. What did Jesus say on the cross? Tell, tell us die. It is finished. It's done. It is accomplished. It is final. So if it doesn't get finished, he didn't start it. But if he started it, He'll, if he led you to the Jordan, he'll get you through the Jordan. If he led you to the trial, he'll get you through the trial. If he led you to this, this issue in your life, he will get you through it and he will alter you. He'll help you to overcome and he will bring about the transition into a new season that you need. But remember, you haven't been this way before. That's why you need the presence of God. Listen, now you say, well, you haven't been this way before. You're talking about people going into a new season. You haven't lived today before. You haven't lived tomorrow yet. 
In fact, the Bible says, don't worry about tomorrow. Here's why. It has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> so, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's why we need the presence of God. Because he says, you haven't been this way before. You haven't traveled this path before. You need me to lead you and to guide you into all truth. And so this is why we desperately need him in our life because he will bring us through and he will clear and blaze the trail and blaze the path for us. And I wanna quickly give you three things that the presence of God will do in your life. Very quickly, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I'm not gonna spend too much time on these this morning, but I do wanna show you through this text what the presence of God will do and how important and vital and valuable it is in your life. Number one, the presence of God will show you the way. When you don't know what to do, what do I do with my life? Where do I go? What decision do I make? Is this, is it, what do I do with my children? What do I do with my finances? Am I supposed to retire? Or am I supposed to wait a few more years? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I supposed to do J38? Am I supposed to get this job? Am I supposed to take this class? You need the presence of God because you haven't lived today. You haven't lived tomorrow. And it's gonna come with trouble. It's gonna come with an attached burden that you're gonna have to bear. But you need to know the presence of God will show me the way. Because he said, I want you to follow the ark of the covenant. I want you to follow the presence of God because you haven't been this way before, but the presence of God will only ever lead you in the paths of life, into fullness of joy, and where there's pleasures forevermore. So the presence of God will show you the way to go when you don't know what to do. How many of you would be just completely honest with me today and say, there are some times that I don't know what to do? I don't know which decision to make. It may be a big decision. It may be a little decision. And sometimes we let the little decision stress us out so much and just make us so frantic and frightful and wondering, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about this? What you're going to do is you're going to let the presence of God show you the way. You're going to let the presence of God be the trailblazer that goes before you. And he's not like Lansford Hawkins. He won't lead you on a wild goose chase, promising something that he won't deliver through. He will get you to the destination that you need to be every single time. Don't believe me? Read the Bible. As they kept going and they kept following the presence of God. As Listen, you read the Bible in the Old Testament. As long as they followed God's instruction, everything worked out fine. Doesn't mean there weren't battles to fight, but they always won them. It doesn't mean that there weren't enemies that would try to come against them, but they were always able to dispel them. As long as they kept the presence of God, he showed them the way of life. But anytime they got away from his presence, havoc and craziness and chaos always ensued. So keep the presence of God. Follow after it. Allow him to lead and guide you. So the presence of God will show you the way. Number two, the presence of God will make a way. Because here's the deal. Sometimes God will show you the way, but you ain't get, you're not gonna get there on your own. You don't have what it takes to make a way. But here's what I love about God. Even when you are in a time of tribulation and trial and difficulty and feeling like you're being just swallowed by uh, all these problems and all these circumstances, the Bible says he will make a way. We serve a God that can make a way. Even when the Israelites were backed up against the Red Sea and they had the Egyptians breathing down their neck from one side and they had the raging waters on the other side, what did he do? He parted the Red Sea. When they were at the Jordan River, what did he do? He parted the Jordan River. He made a way even where there seemed to be no way. Even when it looked like it's impossible. We came all this way, we went around the mountain, and now you're saying that the promised land is on the other side of a river that seems impassable for people right now? Yes, 
This is where he's led you. And sometimes it'll seem impossible, but if you'll trust him and you'll let the presence of God go before you, when the feet of the Levites hit that water, it stood up. And the Bible even gave us physical boundaries that it heaped up on one side and flowed into on the other side because God will make a way where there seems to be no way if you will just allow the presence of God to lead your life. So it'll show you the way and then it'll make the way. And listen, sometimes we want him to make the way before he shows us the way. But sometimes he shows us the way and then he makes the way when we start walking. And then the third thing is it'll keep you in the way. In the way that he's prescribed for you. Because sometimes we'll allow God to show us the way and then he makes a way, but then we wanna go the other way. We wanna try it this way. Just like the Donner family, as they went through, there was a trail Shoulder high, easy to follow, could have made it if they would have just gone that way. But sometimes we want to try new ways. That's why Jesus said, listen, narrow is the way that leads to life and few will find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction and many will go thereafter. And so we have to understand that God will show us the way, he'll make us a way. But if we keep the presence of God leading us and guiding us, it will keep us in the way. That's why Joshua told them in verse 10, he said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive you before the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, what does that word behold mean? It means to look at, look intently upon, to gaze upon, gaze upon the presence of God, of the Lord of all the earth, which is crossing over before you into the Jordan. What's he saying? You keep that in your, in your path and it will keep you in the way. It'll take out every enemy that tries to come against you, every fear that tries to stand up and worry you and doubt and make you get into insecurity. Joshua told them, he said, this is the way that we must keep in. Do you know what Joshua's farewell address said? You probably have it hanging on the wall at your house. He said, choose for you this day whom you're going to serve. Either the God of, of, of our, either, you know, God, or you can choose all the other ones. He said, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to keep following his presence. We're going to keep trusting his promises. We're going to keep our eyes fixed upon him. Even when we don't know the way, when it doesn't seem like there's a way, he can part the Red Sea. He can part the Jordans. He, the Jordan, he can do anything in your life if you just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Can you stand to your feet with me today? Maybe you find yourself in a place where you say, you know what? You're talking about the presence of God, the presence of God, the presence of God. I don't know that I've ever even felt the presence of God or known the presence of God. Listen, it's not out of reach. It's not something special for people that have pastor in front of their name or a, a degree from the, uh, you know, a seminary hanging on their wall. The presence of God is for every single man, woman, and child. He has given it to you. And if you want to experience his presence, all you have to do is desire. All you have to do is say, lift your hands and say, God, would you lead me by your presence? Would you fill me with your presence? And decide right now, it's a non-negotiable in my life. Maybe some of you need to come to the altar right now and say, God, I'm not leaving till you fill me fresh and new with your presence. God, I don't wanna go about my day. I don't wanna go about my week. I don't wanna go about my month and I will not go about my life without the presence of God. Somebody needs to decide right now, my children are gonna know the presence of God. It's not just for church, it's for your house. 
It's for your job. It's for you, when you're driving in your car. It's for when you go on vacation. The presence of God is an everyday thing that we have been blessed with and we've been given the, the opportunity to walk into, but we have got to learn, I'm gonna keep the presence of God forefront in my life with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're saying this morning, I want to walk in the presence of God and I wanna make it a non-negotiable, would you just lift your hand? So many hands are lifted. Listen, this is something that we should all want and desire inside of our life. Like I said earlier, it's for everybody. It's not just for me. It's not just for Pastor Greg. It's not just for Pastor Joel. This is for everybody. This is something, listen, do you know how important the presence of God is? Jesus died for our sins, yes. But when Jesus died, the veil that separated common man from the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, from the top to the very bottom was torn into symbolizing that now and only through the blood of Jesus, only through the sacrifice that was made by the perfect spotless lamb, only then can we have access to the presence of God to come boldly before his throne and to find help in troubled time. And so if you want the presence of God, all you gotta do is go after him. He'll lead you, he'll guide you, he'll show you but we just have to receive and accept and decide I'm gonna walk in, it's a non-negotiable in my life. If that's you, would you just wave your hand all over this place saying the presence of God is a non-negotiable in my life.